Welcome to Mandy the ABA and Aditi the OT's podcast. We are two women across two time zones from two cultures, two allied health fields offering two very different perspectives. Yet we have a common goal of breaking down barriers and creating breakthroughs to promote interprofessional collaboration. Welcome to episode 15, Spit It Out, teaching toothbrushing skills with an ABA and OT perspective. So how are you, Mandy? Well, you know, we have been um, put into lockdown here in Perth, Australia, so just at the beginning of a long weekend. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I can't complain because I know people that have been listening to uh, or that are listening to this will have had a lot worse than us. But just it's like that, you know, in and out of lockdown, as soon as we get one case, yeah. um, we are shut down. So I'm looking at around the world at the moment and seeing that many people are doing it much harder than us. But apart from that, I'm good. How about you, Aditi? You know, feeling the same a little bit. This whole lockdown is looming over everyone, I think. So, but, you know, when you're in lockdown, you can work in a lot of ADLs, like the little segue. So we can actually talk about toothbrushing and you can practice it. So I'm really excited about this episode because as an OT, this is something we work on. Uh, we often consult with speech therapists and now ABA therapists on how to achieve this. And I think most of us are very familiar with the whole process of teaching toothbrushing. You know, the mechanics of uh, the visuals, the backward forward chaining, that sort of stuff. But most of us do get stumped in the process of teaching spitting. I see that across the board in all my chats and Facebook from professionals. How do we teach spitting? So I thought it would be a really good strategy for us to talk about, uh, looking from oral motor, sensory and behavioral aspect of things. And then we will chat about some of the evidence-based strategies highlighted in the literature, but really about what's not as effective we think it is but there is no residual carryover to achieving the skill i think that's really important for us to discuss so those are just some aspects we're going to talk about we're going to have some nice resources for you our task analysis specifically for spitting and some other resources on various uh, items that you can purchase to help with this process Moving on, I do want to give a shout out. I'm actually going to do the shout out this today because I'm so excited. This is what happened, Mandy, about, I don't know, four weeks ago. I was like, am I the only one who cares about data as an OT? And everyone kept telling me, oh, you know, don't bother. I don't think OTs are interested. So I decided to just do a little sort of social experiment. And I uh, posted on Facebook and I just, hey, Anyone out there sick of this rhetoric that OTs don't take data? Anyone interested in, you know, taking data with me? And oh my goodness. So I did this when I went to bed and then I woke up in the morning and I had two to 300 responses from people going, yes, yes, we want it. And I was so happy. And so I'm giving a shout out to OTs out there who are interested in data collection. I do have a Facebook group that I created right after that because I was so excited. It's called the Database Therapist. So if you're interested in learning more about data collection in a step-by-step way there, that's another avenue. But of course, we on this podcast are going to uncover data collection also. So that will be coming in the next few weeks. But let's move on. Hey, Mandy, just curious, what uh, sort of issues do you guys have with clients and toothbrushing, specifically spitting? Is that a tough one to, for you guys too? 
in general, things involving the mouth and kids, particularly um, kids with developmental disability, is challenging. Some of my clients have in their repertoire self-biting or biting others, um, so a sensitivity around touching their mouth, manipulating their mouth. Then when it comes to a very complex skill like spitting, which is surprisingly difficult once you break it down as to you know how you have to manipulate your mouth and your tongue, etc., then that's where parents generally, if they have had some success in tooth brushing or at least allowing children to have their teeth brushed, um, they get stuck when it comes to spitting out the toothpaste. And then add to that the complexity that many kids like the taste of toothpaste and so they tend to want to swallow it. So, yeah, this is something that frequently comes up for me. So our audience might be wondering or some listeners here going, well, why is it, you know, can't we just buy the toothpaste that, is fluoride free and then not worry about it. And of course, that is an avenue that you can use. And, and we often use that in the interim. But just as a general informational aspect, you know, fluoride is very detrimental um, to the human condition and health. I did not realize that, that you're more likely to contract something called fluorosis, which is a condition when you swallow a lot of fluoride in the first eight years of your life. So this is really important that we address spitting out toothpaste with children so that we can promote health and wellness, of course. And in OT, we typically start with looking at the sensory aspect, which you sort of alluded to, like, you know, not liking the extreme flavor of toothpaste. Also, just being touching anything around their mouth is sometimes due to oversensitivity. So in OT, our first step might be just playing with those items, getting comfortable with them, and also touching their face or their mouth. Uh, does that sound like something you guys do too? Absolutely. I'm um, currently working with a lovely speech therapist. I'll give a shout out to her in another episode. But she and I are doing a lot of work together to have a child tolerate having his tongue touched because he doesn't use his tongue in speech. So yeah, a lot of work in terms of teaching a child to hold their mouth open, um, obviously with your gloves on. Letting At first, we're having him tolerate just the glove on his lip um, and slowly then opening his lips and then um, we are doing oral motor imitation of having his mouth open as a separate target and eventually then encouraging him to let us touch his tongue and then gently grab his tongue. Grab's a strong word, but uh, manipulate, is that the right word I'm looking for? Manipulate his tongue so that we can start to move it around his mouth and prompt him to be able to move his tongue. So yes, this is something I'm working on right now and you know, it's a, a big part of that type of work is shaping. So, you know, starting at a very small approximation of the final target skill and reinforcing a little step towards that. So, yes, this is something I'm really familiar with right now, but also done lots of work on that in the past. But um, you mentioned something there before in terms of, you know, why is spitting important? It's a really important skill, not just for toothbrushing. I mean, obviously, when you go to the dentist, they'll often put things on your teeth that have to be spat out. Uh, you know, if you have any treatment on your teeth, there's like the, and the mouthwash, you don't want to be swallowing that stuff. It's, it's um, antibacterial and all sorts of things that you wouldn't want to ingest. But also, you know, if children get something stuck in their mouth or 
If they have a food item um, that's, you know, lodged in their, either their tooth or they're starting to choke, you want a child to be able to expel those items with force. So spitting is really important for so many things. And it's also a, sort of a manipulation of the mouth that is important for other skills like speech, etc. if you have a child that needs that type of oral motor movement. So it's very important for lots of different reasons, yeah. So OTs definitely look at the oral motor movements and the motor planning that goes into, you know, all the aspects you just said, like spitting and all those uh, ADLs and also with language, of course, and often with collaboration with a the speech therapist. One of the things that I've noticed that OTs, and I've done in the past too, is use a lot of oral stimulation activities. Like, I, I, have you heard of the Z-Vibe? Uh, yeah, 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 I've seen lots of those, yeah. Or like a vibrating toothbrush, you know, the, those sort of things. Now, when I looked up the research on this, there's not a lot to show that there's follow-through, but it is something if the student likes it, you know, we can often use it um, as a before and after. But have you used any of those in ABA? Yeah, I've certainly used those types. They call it jewelry in some parts of the word, you know, things that are safe to be put in the mouth. I've had a couple of students with extreme pica, you know, ingestion, putting things in the mouth, um, non-food items in the mouth, which is very dangerous and the long-term outcome for people with that severe um, behaviour is not good. So I have had a children, a couple of children with severe pica and so we will often teach them the discrimination that these items can go in the mouth and nothing else apart from food, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I have used those items before, but I spitting is a very specific skill and some children get it very easy because they're very good at imitating and kids with a lot of language, you know, you can direct them with language. But when you come to children that don't have good imitation skills or uh, lacking language or both, then you're left to shape that behaviour and break down into little pieces of of the overall skill, which is, I'll just talk through sort of what my task analysis is for the overall skill, and that is to, you know, be able to hold a cup and direct a small portion of liquid into your mouth initially. This, that in itself is a skill because mm-hmm. many children will tip too much and the water goes down their top. Some children don't tolerate wetness on their tops. I already hear people out there going, yes, yes, I've been there done that then then the top comes off and you know there's screaming and crying etc so um that's a whole different thing to teach in terms of tolerating uh wet t-shirt etc and then wait in the presence of having that fluid in your mouth and then be able to shake um your head side to side which is generally or open your mouth and gargle and then expel the fluid with enough force that it doesn't just hold it in your mouth and then expel it with enough force spit that is, that it, you know, lands in the sink. Now, that's quite amazing that any of us ever learned to do that because it requires really fine oral motor movements. And then for those of us that don't like getting water or toothpaste water or uh, mouthwash on us, we learn pretty quickly. But for those of, the, um, you know, the population that haven't kind of got that awareness or don't really care, then it, it can take longer to learn that skill. Um, so yes, to answer your question, that's a long way of saying 
I have worked with, you know, very different children, uh, very different sort of skill level of children. And in general, when you have children with generalized, what I call generalized imitation skills, that is they can watch somebody else do it. They can practice it themselves and with a little bit of guidance, either in person or with a video model is a really good way to do it. Then and generally just using water, you know, standing over a sink, you can get a pretty good approximation of it without a lot of work. It's these other children that don't have those skills that need them, generalized imitation skills, or be able to watch a video and then do it for themselves, where I have sort of used a different methodology. Okay, so are you talking about children who may have low muscle tone, perhaps in their mouth, or children who don't have the strength to pucker up and, you know, assume those oral motor movements? Are those the children you're referring to? Those as well, but generally children with autism that um, don't have good generalized imitation skills, their, you know, their visual attending is not strong, so they can't imitate lip movement or tongue placement, and they don't have the language to be able to direct them to do it. And so all you have left at your disposal in that case is either prompting with your hands or shaping, in other words, attempting to get part of the skill and then reinforcing that and then building upon that skill. I have had one student that I did this with, so I'll go through a little bit of a, a case study. Um, sure. And I will call him Andrew. How's that for the sake of this exercise? So uh, he was a little boy, nonverbal, also had Pike in his repertoire, so that, you know, as the complexity that you don't want to reinforce non-food items in the mouth – and in general, you know, discourage putting anything in the mouth other than food. So he was nonverbal, didn't have generalized imitation skills at this time and was really um, only had a couple of signing requests and, you know, limited verbal understanding or communication. But he would often swallow toothpaste or suck the, the paste off the brush. And so, yeah, so we started the process of teaching um, him to spit out an object and we actually used a dog toy because that rubber is some of the rubber that you get in dog toys. Those balls, those quite small balls, they're too big to swallow, so therefore safe. Um, but they also can't have pieces bitten off them. I've just forgotten the, the name of them off the top of my head. Do you know those really wonderful dog toys that came in lots? And you, um, wait, it's coming to me. It might come to me by the end of the episode. But you, <laughs> you stuff them full of things and they suck them out. They're like little cones. Anyway, it'll come to me in a minute. It's a very famous dog toy brand. And they also make these really, really good chew toys that are very, very hard rubber. So that's what we used for this exercise. And we would have him take the ball in his mouth. So he actually would bite down on it and hold it in his mouth. And then we would have him lean over a bucket to start with until such time as he let go of the ball with encouragement or prompting and then we would tag that response of him letting go of the ball and say spit at that time so we were trying to get that word of spit under instructional control of him letting go and then we would use our wonderful clicker which I know we're going to talk about in another episode we may have referred to it earlier and that is um, tag teaching and tagging the response that you're looking to get again or reinforce so yeah, so start by obtaining this ball, putting it in his mouth and say, bite down or take the ball, something similar. And then three, two, one, spit and either tap the side of the ball or encourage him to let go of the, of the ball. Or eventually he's going to let go anyway, because it's not very pleasant to hold that in his mouth. 
And so we were able to get that in under instructional control. And we just stayed on that slice until he would do it consistently in the presence of a bucket. Um, while we were training that part of the skill, we also um, what we call in precision teaching, like an application check. That is like having him take a sip of water over a sink and saying spit as well. But in the early days, he had not generalized that to water either. He had, it was very contextual to that ball and to a bucket. So we kept training. And then the next task was to have him to move the bucket a little bit further away. So he had to use, not just to let go the ball, but he kind of had to use force to spit out the ball and yeah within about 12 sessions it sounds a lot doesn't it but it's we were only working on it for a few minutes a session um we started to get improvement of him actually using sort of force to apply to the ball and uh eventually we moved uh that ball to the sink because it uh, we weren't getting generalization with water and then we moved to water training with water obviously not uh any substance to start with and so we'd say we'd have him take a sip of water and then we would say wait so he'd take the sip of water in his mouth we taught him to wait with a signal I'm not sure if I've talked about the use of signals before but we use that comes from the field of direct instruction yeah direct instruction teachers use very different um, signals they might hold their finger up or they might use a pencil or their whole hand which means wait for my cue to do something next so um, uh, this little boy was we were using signals a lot to teach waiting in all different environments so we taught him to take the water and then wait and because that weight was under instructional control he would do nothing else at that time and then spit and so yeah we started very close to the sink leaning right over the sink and then we would tag each of that and then slowly we were able to move him back so that he would use more force. And eventually we got to sip, wait, shake head was the next movement. So have him shake his head side to side. He was able to do that through imitation, which was really good. And then we were able to fade that out and have, it, have him respond to the instruction shake head and then spit. And over time, we were able to cue in that whole thing, let's practice spitting. And he would take the water, put his mouth shakes side to side and then spit it out. So there was a, a process of about six weeks to get to that stage, at which time we invited his parents into the clinic and got them to brush his teeth. He's still requiring help with brushing teeth. And with a signal, we were able to, at some point in the brushing process, say, wait and spit. And then rinse at the end. So we're just at that part of the process now with Andrew. So yeah, from dog toy to actually spitting out toothpaste, about a six-week process. But um, up until that, he was swallowing a lot of toothpaste. And like you said, Adeni, they were using very friendly toothpaste. But still, you just you still don't want him ingesting, you know, that twice sure. a day. Mm. And actually, what just came to my thought process then too is that he is also a child that will swallow water in a pool a swimming pool have you had right. yeah you know those yeah. kids that yeah. yeah they ingest the water and swallow a lot of water while they're swimming so mm -hmm. that you know down the track that's another goal for us is to have him spit out water in the swimming pool as well um, so that's what we got to with Andrew. And um, so, yeah, we, you talked a little bit there about desensitization. We were doing that at the same time with the speech therapist to have him tolerate, you know, us touching his mouth and opening his mouth and those sorts of things for speech goals. Uh, but this was specifically targeting having him um, be able to 
hold and spit the fluid out of his mouth. I think that's exactly what OTs would do, although we don't have a nicely outlined task analysis that you have highlighted. So I think that would be a really valuable tool. But um, the first step for us, obviously, is that oral desensitization. That's probably where we start. And also just getting the mouth ready. I think that relates to awareness. You know, uh, in OT, we call it um hypo-responsive or low proprioceptive awareness where you don't have as much awareness of your mouth because you can't see it. It's harder to create imitation skills. And so we would probably do the same thing. I mean, I, I can tell you from my experience working with children in spitting, I normally start with a mirror. Then we just work on desensitization with, I don't know, peanut butter or, um, whipped cream or whatever, just to get them used to the idea. And then um, similar to the chew toys, I typically use ice. That's what I start with. Depends on the kid, obviously. I had a student who loved ice. So that was not a good student to start with ice because he didn't want to spit it out. So in that situation, I had to find something that wasn't aversive, but not pleasant, obviously. And he, uh, you know, those cinnamon... Um, candies I don't know if you know those what are they called red hots they're called in the U.S. Oh, yeah, right. but they're cinnamon and they're like really almost spicy mm-hmm. so that's what we ended up using because he was more motivated to spit it out so doing some of those prep activities using the z-vibe which is just like a vibrating toothbrush um, we also did sucking and blowing activities. So I know in speech, they have a whole curriculum for that, the talk tools. Again, this is in conjunction with a speech therapist um, to strengthen those. I Mm. really wish there was a way to measure that, you know, and I, now that I'm thinking about measurement, like, I wonder if there was a way to measure the strength of puckering up to blow and puckering up and maintaining that strength in your lips for that posture. You know what I mean? The presentation that was done at uh, the International Precision Teaching Conference, the way they did that was to get a range of whistles that had different strengths required to blow. So like a level one whistle, a level two, a level three, a level four, there was a whole range of whistles, all which required, you know, differing amounts of strength. So it's a really good way to, to shape and to strengthen and to measure your ability to make enough force to make a sound. Um, so that's certainly one way of doing so it. So is that similar to the horn program and talk tools? Is it similar? Yeah, I'm not as familiar with talk tools because we order our own range of whistles from Alibaba, actually. For, as a hot, oh, hot, okay. as a hot tip for anybody who wants really good speech tools, there are you know, or oral motor things. Like they're literally just a couple of dollars each. Sometimes you have to order minimum, minimum quantities, but things that might retail here, I hope I'm not doing anyone there out of business that's listening to this podcast, but <laughs> uh, some of the whistles and things that we looked at that were very expensive, particularly when it comes to, you know, items for special need children, they're often very expensive, I guess, because there's not large, yeah. large quantities of them required. It's no criticism of the suppliers, but, but like, thousands of different versions of whistles and tongue depressors and like mm-hmm. plastic ones and metal ones and literally just a few cents each so yeah we've recently been using Alibaba a lot and real with great success anyway um so yeah we have a range of whistles about 12 different whistles with different intensities and we just ordered a lot of different ones and then we rated them so yeah 
That is a way of measuring and breaking it down when you're getting increased force that you, you know, in order to make a sound out of a whistle. That's one way. How do you incorporate reinforcement into that whole scenario? Uh, well, yeah, I talk a little bit about Andrew. So he's a really interesting kid in that his primary reinforcer, if you can believe this, is fennel seeds. Um, oh. He absolutely oh. loves fennel Funny. seeds, which is really... Now, the, the candy-coated ones or the, no, just the regular ones? just regular, regular. ones. And his parents insist that we use organic ones, and I have done the research, and you can literally have thousands of them a day without any adverse effects. In fact, they're anti-inflammatory and very good for you. So, you know, when we're teaching a new skill, at least when I'm teaching a new skill, generally I will reinforce every response initially when you're trying to build that skill. And so at every little component skill, every little uh, slice that we were reinforcing there, we would give him a tiny fennel seed um, and obviously verbal praise at each time. So the way that we taught that skill was to reinforce just one, that, you know, him taking the object in his mouth and tagging that and then taking it out for him and reinforcing with a fennel seed and verbal praise. And then when we started to get a cumulative like taking the ball and releasing the ball then we would reinforce that response and then we would keep each of the pinpoints we call them in PT each of those we would keep that in retention so we'd make sure that he had you know each of the separate skills together um, in retention so he wasn't losing any component so and then we would reinforce that in a, in a less frequent schedule so like every one to three responses so yeah, so uh, again, reinforcement obviously very individual to the the child. Sometimes just the you know playing with water in the sink if that's what you're doing, or having a water toy or something next to the sink, um, whatever the child likes to do. And obviously, the great thing about using a clicker, as you know, Daddy, because I know you use it a lot as well, is that when you tag the response, it's immediate and it's the same every time. So it identifies that that's the exact approximation of the skill that you're looking for so yeah with a, a tag and then a reinforcer that was identified as being highly preferred to that child yeah so I had a student who really loved Spongebob and so one of the things we did is we um, put a sponge in the sink and that was where SpongeBob lived forever. <laughs> and then the idea was to move this, uh, the sponge further and further away, you know, closer to the sink, um, sinkhole area to get him to spit in a very directed format. So uh, I think OTs are great at coming up with those creative ideas. But as you said, it's really important to see what's important for that child, what speaks to them. And obviously don't pick something they really like because they're not going to spit it out then. That's <laughs> one of the yeah. problems I incurred. But I do want to move on and talk a little bit about video modeling mm -hmm. because I looked up the research and video mod modeling is one of the most effective ways to teach children that I saw. Uh, I think there was an article specifically on children with autism. So basically the child gets to watch a clip of a targeted behavior, right? And then they watch that and then they can imitate it, obviously. And it minimizes distractions. And again, it's a very sort of uh, standardized way of presenting the information without additional nuances. So I can see how it would be really useful. I have not used it a lot. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you've used it? I've used video modeling for a lot of different things but 
In particular, I use it for conversational skills. Yeah, obviously, uh, conversation is a really complex set of skills. But once children have sufficient ability to grade and to talk on topic, etc., what you want to do is expose them to a variety of conversations which they can um, learn in context. So it's very hard to facilitate that without a lot of prompting when you're just talking one-on-one to the child. But when you can mm-hmm. show video footage of a variety of conversations, which obviously you can pre-record and, you know, make on topic and it's a real, that's a very good tool for teaching conversation. But I've used it also for all ADLs. I did have a little girl who absolutely idolised her cousin. And while mm. she didn't necessarily like to do things for her mother, she would love to watch videos of her cousin doing it. And so we taught her towel, drying herself with a towel, using her cousin as a model, and also shoe tying. And then uh, use of a knife and fork for eating. So I've used it for a variety of things. You know, you say it's a lack of distraction, but the many children that are obsessed with iPads and it it isn't always good. But I have had like a little device that would hold the iPad up and away from the child. And the great thing about it is you can pause and go back (laughs) and as you say it's consistent it's always the same delivery and you take out the verbal instructions so that can often children can become prompt dependent on so Mm. yeah I don't remember the name of the videos that I used to have this is going back a long time now when my daughter was quite little but there was a really good range of videos uh, that were produced a while ago. I'm sure they've been updated now and all sorts of different ones on, on the App Store, but for teaching lots of different um, ADLs. And so, yeah, for many children that have good imitation skills, because remember you have to have a skill of mirroring as well. In other words, if that child is doing it with their right hand and they're right-handed and you need to use your right hand, the child needs to mirror the video. Does that make sense? Sort of right. like, yeah, like reverse the skill for themselves well and actually that's the question I was going to ask you so when you're doing video modeling are you doing it as what the child would do or is it opposite you know yeah that's right I mean yeah I do know what you're saying and because like (laughs) you know when you look in a mirror and you are using your right hand obviously you can see your right hand um yeah but when you look at a video, the child is facing the other way. And so um, one way to do it is if you need, if the child doesn't have like a, a reverse image, in other words, understand that the person's right hand is their right hand and it's the opposite, mm-hmm. then you can actually record it yourself and get the child to use their left hand. And so um, the child is directly imitating and I have done that as well. So I've used it, for instance, to teach building Lego models from a model and so if you want the child to exactly imitate what's happening in the video you can get the other child to record it with their left hand as opposed to their right hand so that's another thing so it's always about you know assessing the skill level of the child and um and their ability to tolerate having a an ipad paused etc those prerequisite skills and there are a lot of good good studies on using video modeling for different skills so you you can search those online as well 
it just makes sense, right? A lot of children, especially with autism, are such visual thinkers and learners. So they tend to do better when things are presented visually rather than giving all these oral directions uh, you know, well, and all that. So I can see that. I want to pause you there. <laughs> I want to push the okay. ah, I want to push the pause button there. I think Dr. Kim has a very very good blog on her website. If anybody's interested in drkimberlybarons.com, I think it is, on that general sort of blanket statement that you know children with disabilities are, tend to be visual learners. I think in general, children with autism do often present with um, language delays, but I don't think that's always the case. I think that they may have just have had more practice at that skill, and perhaps people have focused on that learning channel. But um, I think that's a really blanket statement and I don't, I don't think it's a good view to have that we should always use visuals because children have autism. But, yeah, please go and have a look at that article by Dr. Kim because she talks about learning styles and that I think she has a really nice, um, a really nice uh, comparison there. She says, you know, styles are for fashion, but learning styles are not something that one child has over another. And um, when we start to focus on the skills that they already have, we, we miss a big part of the learning process. So I think hopefully going forward, Aditi, we're going to have more episodes on precision teaching and talking about learning channels. And that's a really, really good topic to look at, you know, why it is that child might be more proficient in one learning channel, like seeing something and saying it or hearing it and doing it as opposed to other learning channels. It's not necessarily that they're better in that channel. They've just had more practice and more reinforcement in that particular area. So there you go. That's my first pause button for a while. <laughs> and yes, I can agree with all the above. However, I would put a caveat in there from an OT perspective is that if we're trying to teach a skill, we would probably start with their strongest learning channel. And if it is visual in that moment in order to achieve the goal we would probably use that initially but no I would not say that OTs discount any other learning channel but if you're trying to teach a specific task you probably start with that first mm -hmm. and then hopefully build on it but yes I agree that video modeling is very effective the one other way that I've used it and I, I guess it's not really truly video modeling this is more recording the child doing the action so spitting after brushing their teeth and then having them watch it and review it themselves i don't know if that comes under the umbrella of video modeling but that has been really really effective with some of my students obviously you know they're higher level functioning and they're able to say oh i needed to do this mm. or that so that's been really effective for me in my sessions so Yeah. Uh, teaching spitting and brush toothbrushing skills good do you have any other thoughts as far as the progression of what to start with when you're teaching spitting so for example in my mind it's easier to spit something out that is a solid which you identified like that dog toy you were talking about than something liquid yeah Yes, because it's very, the child can see what they're spitting out and you can, it's obviously they're not swallowing it. So I guess if you're using water, you're not too concerned about them swallowing it. But yeah, have something they can visually see and then label spit. So that's certainly how I've taught it to children that, you know, have low skill sets is with a solid object. Yeah. I did, there was something else I was going to say though, because you made a very good point earlier on and we talked about measuring the blowing out capacity mm -hmm. but also there are a range of straws that you can get to train sucking in as well because that's kind of a skill 
in terms of your ability to manipulate your mouth and, you know, suck in and then blow out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also a really, really good range of straws that you can get. Um, speech, speech pathology uh, websites have those where it's very, very easy to suck and it actually there are objects where you can depress the fluid and will cause the fluid to come up the straw very easily and then to get harder and harder and harder to really, you know, teach strong blowing in. So that's another set of tools that's really good in terms of what you were saying there to increase mouth awareness and oral motor strength, if that's if that's a word. I've used, um, you know, those Orbeez, you know, like bubble tea, you get those. Oh, yeah. Do you know what they are? So we've used that a lot. Like we'll use Orbeez for spitting out too, because they're obviously they're safe and they're somewhat in between solid and liquid. And also just using different straws, like the smoothie straw versus the regular straw, that sort of thing. But I know there's a whole straw program that is accessible on talk tools. So those are just some strategies that I've used too. I've also used pop rocks. Do you ever, well, have you ever used pop rocks? Are they those, those sort of sherbety things? Yeah, like you put them in your mouth and they sort of uh, pop and crackle uh, as a precursor to doing this, just to wake up the um, oral motor cavity and sensory system. So that's just one of the strategy that I've used. And I know kids love that too. And using it after also because it's a it's a huge reinforcer for a lot of my students. Right? Yeah. So yeah, there's some natural strategies out there, but there's lots on Amazon, I noticed. Lots of different flavored toothpastes, also jewelry that you mentioned that you can use for spitting out. Mm-hmm. Did you find anything else? I think those were the two things that I had found. Um, yeah, other than oh, your visit to the Sorry. visit to the pet store and find um, <laughs> friendly items that are able that um, can't have chunks taken out of them. Yeah. Social stories. That was the other thing. That's something I have not used. Have you used that a lot for toothbrushing and spitting? Um, not for toothbrushing. I've used social stories for lots of different things. I always, you know, want to pu- I push a pause button when we get to social stories because I see them used so frequently with children yeah. that don't have the cognition to understand them and it just becomes kind of a, mm-hmm. a rote thing that people do and hope that kids generalise the skill with actually engaging in it. So, you know, for children that have rule-governed behaviour, in other words, they can read something or at least have it read to them and understand it and then derive that for themselves. I think there's lots of good uses for social stories, but many times the kids that I see them being used with, they don't have the ability to apply those rules for themselves. So, so yeah, I think almost certainly if you have a kid that can read a story about toothbrushing and then do it for themselves, you probably didn't need it in the first place. But maybe where social stories can come in is where we're teaching sort of consequences of not brushing teeth well or, you know, perhaps the effects of sugar on without toothbrushing. So trying to um, possibly do some education around oral hygiene as opposed to actually how to brush your teeth might be a good purpose for that. There's lots of, you know, I don't think you need a social story for that because there's lots of really good authored books about teeth and and mouth hygiene. I'm sure dentists have them as well. But so, yeah, as long as the child has the ability to learn rules or have this rule-governed behaviour, as as behavioralists call it, um, then, yeah, writing the rule down or telling them the rule is another way of learning it. 
Okay. Mm. No, absolutely. That is a def uh, an important caveat there. So um, these are some nice considerations when designing, you know, oral hygiene interventions for children with autism or other disabilities. Uh, I think you covered quite a lot of aspects from a behavioral standpoint, and hopefully I, I offered some sensory aspects too. It's so important that our children, the children we work with, develop good brushing habits and proper techniques and all that. Definitely. And um, I'm definitely stealing that SpongeBob idea. That's a great idea because <laughs> I have used something similar with toilet training whereby, you know, you put a um, ping pong ball in the toilet and have boys, you know, aim at the ping pong ball. But I didn't think about yeah. putting something in the sink and having them aim at it. So that's a uh, hot, hot tip I'll be taking away from this podcast. Thanks for that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, actually, especially in the beginning when you're doing it with ice, it's it's a lot of fun because it sort of bounces off SpongeBob. So they just love it, you know, just little things. But I'm so happy that we covered this because it is really important to teach caregivers. And the video modeling is such a nice, cost-effective, easy to sort of employ in the home environment option that gives parents and other caregivers a nice alternatives to seeing the therapist especially as OTs because we only see them you know once a week or so yeah. so really happy that we covered that uh, Mandy any points you want to go over before we end uh, I guess I always just want to talk about reinforcement Aditi this is a, a <laughs> um, so yeah just making sure that you know if you're teaching a new skill and it's very difficult that you know, each step in the chain of the behaviour is, you know, reinforced and you only really know if it's being reinforced if the behaviour is improving. Um, that's, you know, we have an episode coming up on and what is reinforcement and but it's kind of like a circular definition in that if a behaviour is improving then it must be reinforced and whatever you were doing was a reinforcer. So obviously verbal praise is an easy one, using tag teach, another um, topic that we'll have coming up. And then identifying what seems to be the most powerful reinforcer for a child and making sure that each component of the skill is mastered and fluent so that, you know, these skills maintain over time because as professionals, we put a lot of time and energy and effort into teaching. We want to make sure that they maintain over time. So, yeah, that's my hot tip for making sure that we are um, strengthening behavior through using powerful motivators and uh, what we assess to be reinforcers along the way. Perfect, because, I, you know, I, I do think reinforcement is a generalized term outside of ABA. So I think that's great that we're going to be covering that. And some resources that you will have access to after this episode, you will find them in our show notes. Some uh, links to fluoride-free toothpaste options. I do have a social story book. It's mm -hmm. called Brush Your Teeth Snappy Croc. So um, I've heard lots of good reviews on oh, that. Good. And I have used it with a little kiddo. But I have to say, I'm not sure if you really got it or not. Um, but that's a book mum used to read to him. So uh, if, if anything, it just supports the intervention. And then um, please do join us on Facebook. Um, I have the Facebook group for data collection for OTs or therapists like PTs. And also um, send us your comments and questions. We actually have a comment on our Facebook group asking about verbal stimming so that will be coming up soon so thank you for that okay so remember the most valuable resource we have is what each other without collaboration our growth is limited to our own perspectives so hashtag collaboration over competition until next time bye-bye from the windy city
and Aru from Down Under.